Welcome back to the DC Beer Show, everybody. I am Jake. We are DC Beer at DC Beer across social media. And I'm here, as always, with Brandy. Brandy, what are you drinking? Actually, not drinking anything tonight. And it's not because I got super, super drunk at all over the weekend. I just, I don't know. I'm just hanging out by myself tonight, and I don't really drink by myself, so... Uh, it's it's good for my liver to take a break. What are you drinking, Jake? I've got um, Jury Weather calling for uh, the Three Stars Cellar Series Munich-style Dunkel. Uh, shout out to Three Stars and to Meth for talking um, Mike um, McGarvey and the team into actually making lagers. It's quite nice. Like, real solid Dunkel. You know, it's like dark, a little rainy out. Go ahead, have a beer. Exactly. I love meth. I was hanging out with meth, actually, uh, on Saturday after Snally. We went to the... Uh, meth was pouring pretty much all day. And I we went to Blue Jacket for the after party. And it was really nice. The food there was fantastic. They had everything all set up. Um, and I hung out in a booth beside meth for most of the evening. <laughs> so it was really nice. Like, destroying some fried chicken and corn and talking to meth and just singing his praises and thanking him for his delicious beer he's been making so shout out to meth love you meth yeah and also shout out um to nrg for being the host with the most because they just threw snallygaster um yeah hope you know that was pretty cool brandy do you want to sum up your snally thoughts before we get to the guests sure well i was planning on partying on the night before because there was a pre-Snally thing at Other Half, but I hmm, I wonder not... who went to that and who partied there. Uh, Jake, yeah, you should, uh, you should, you, you, I got pictures from Jake from, from that night. I literally went to bed at seven o'clock because a little bit hungover from Thursday night, the pink boots and Other Half tap takeover at Garden District, so it was, that was nice. <laughs> I drank a little much that night, um, but Snally, so I was getting text updates from Richard and my friend Steven saying, oh my God, this line is insane. And this was for VIP. And if you know me, you know I don't ever get anywhere on time, ever, ever. So uh, they were like, oh my God, it's crazy. And by the time I rolled up at 1240, there was no line. I w- walked right in. <laughs> and then I found... Richard and Jake and Mike Lestord and everybody and didn't stand in line for any beer because I'm not about that life. But Wait is uh, a four-letter word. Yeah. <laughs> but I mostly just was social. I mean I drank, but I drank the tiniest of pours and if I don't if I didn't love something, if nothing blew me away, I poured it out and drank water. So I, I was in great shape, actually, on Saturday, but my my top two beers, which I assume you're going to ask me what my favorite ones. No, no, tell us. Tell us your top two. I, and everyone's going to be angry with me, but I really, really liked this rock beer from Eschland, Eschland, Curla? Ashley Curla? Curla. Yeah. And I, you know, I know I can probably get this wherever, but 
I don't know. I just wasn't feeling all these crazy big double hazy imperial thingies. I was like, I just want the smoke beer. <laughs> um, so I, I really liked that one. Um, but going along with the smoked, there was this brewery called Casita from Nor- Wilson, North Carolina. Shout out to my home state. They had a smoked corn lager. They actually smoked the corn. It was really, really effing tasty. That was my like local-ish made-in-the-U.S. highlight. So what about you, Jake? No, no. I just, I, I want to second the Casita thing. Um, I don't like, I don't want to go out and start ranking, you know, like top two, top this, top that. But it's super cool about Snally's that like this is brewery I've never heard of, Casita. And what are they bringing? Like a pastry stout, which yes, as one does in 2021, but the smoke corn lager. They were both really, really good. Um, and so you can hit like both of those styles. Um, it shows some brewing talent. Smoke corn lager was delightful. Uh, just like real delicate. Um, it didn't like wallop you over the head, like say some of the German smoked beers, although it's perfectly yeah. fine to be wallped over the head of smoke. But yeah, that was that was really, really good. But really what I want to get back to is your point about the sociality of it. It's just like to be able to be outside and to run into people that I had not seen in somewhere between like 20 months and two and a half years, three years. That's super cool. Just be like, oh, hey, it's you. We have a conversation and we have some beer. Just absolutely lovely. It was glorious. And I am the most social person that I know. And it made my heart so happy. Like I was recharged by seeing these people and giving hugs and it was just and like bonding over beer and going to tents and meeting new people. You know, there was that brewery that you brought me to that tent as uh, woman owned. And I was just so impressed by their beers. Um, that was, um, we're going to shout out to Avery Swanson over at keeping together. Keeping uh, together. She, that's it. Yes. Uh, all mixed fermentation, large format, bottles um just like super cool ingredients yeast the bacteria it's all like it's on point um yeah like isn't that what it's about it's just like hanging out meeting people talking to people you know you hadn't seen trying new beers yeah yeah but it it also made me super happy when i was just walking down pennsylvania avenue and all of a sudden i hear dc beer dc beer in the house like and I'm like, do I know you? They're like, we follow you in DC Beer. I was like, yeah. So I was like, yay. So shout out to all of our followers on Insta and Twitter and Facebook and all that jazz. Uh, we love you. And thanks for saying, hey, I met some folks from Crooked Crab, met some Kushwa people. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah. So shout out to Snally. It was, it was pretty well executed, um, including the after party. So... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it next year. Absolutely. And maybe next year in 2022, we get Saver and a Saver Week back again. But that would be nice. Snally is now history. And speaking of history, we've got Mike Stein with not one, but two beer history interviews. The first is with Brian Alberts, a beer historian and writer based out of Seattle, Washington. Or I think if we're being particular um, to the West Coast friends, um, Auburn. Brian, Mike, take it away. Hey, everybody. I'm Mike Stein. This is the DC Beer Show. We are thrilled to have Brian Alberts, PhD, with us today. Brian, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Oh, I am doing great. And uh, 
I, I'm so flattered that you remember I was on the show. I'm sure no one else does. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last time you saw us, it was in studio, live in session in D.C. Um, this was back in 2019. For those of us who are joining or for our listeners who are, who are back with us now, tell the listeners who you are. Yeah, so uh, I am a historian. I was born and bred in the Midwest. And uh, basically, I realized in grad school that I could you know, try and make a living off of uh, talking about beer history, thinking about beer history, and uh, sharing that with other people. It's been a thrill. I love doing it. I am very much not a brewer. I know you are, Mike. I, I know you're good at that. I'm good at the old paper. I'm good at the culture, the politics, things like that. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't taste nearly as good as the beer does, but it is something I enjoy. Yeah, and I'm eager to get into some of those beer history topics. But first, I wanted to ask, uh, what does your work in beer history look and sound like? Yeah, so uh, I'm currently a freelance historian and consultant and writer and podcaster. Uh, I, I'm doing some projects with Mike, of course, uh, which hopefully you know listeners have seen. And if they haven't, they'll, they'll see the new ones that are coming up. So uh, I have kind of a, a, a new podcast series through Good Beer Hunting that is called Source Material, where I basically just look at beer history from lots of different angles and tell fascinating stories. Everything from the way beer interacted to public health to uh, there's an episode coming up soon, if it's not released by the time this is, about the Coors Boycotts. Uh, I'm going to talk about a Wisconsin maltster who traveled to Japan for a year to help establish a brewery there. I, every kind of interesting story that I can find, I'm, I'm putting out there. In addition to that, I, I do have a lot of written content. I've written for the Washington Post recently. I write for Good Beer Hunting quite a bit. Uh, I was in the Atlantic once a couple years ago, things like that. And then on top of it, I, you know, I do kind of private consulting uh, with individual clients. I do just a lot of hunting and pecking on my own time, looking for new things I'll talk about later. It's, uh, it's an interesting life that I, I kind of do while being a part-time dad. And uh, hopefully once my kids are a little older, it'll be a full-time thing. Yeah, that's great. So you recently tweeted a huge thread about the Oktoberfest. Can you tell me what that thread was about? That thread was about me coping with COVID. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had planned with, uh, with my wonderful wife to take a, a kind of a big vacation to Oktoberfest and also to just Germany in general. Uh, Going to spend a couple days at the fest. You know, that, that was our big plan. And uh, that plan was meant to be in fall 2020, which, you know, so you can imagine where that went. Uh, we were going to do the same thing again. We just kind of postponed it to fall of 2021. And, uh, inst you know, you can see where that went. So now we're hoping for 2022. So uh, basically, both of those same years, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if, if uh, I would have chosen to go because Oktoberfest in Munich was canceled with very good reason uh, because, it, you know, because of COVID and everything like that. And, you know, after the second time, I started kind of wondering, well, how often does Oktoberfest get canceled? You know, is this a common thing? Is, you know, is COVID... I mean, COVID is unprecedented, but is it that unprecedented where like nothing like this has ever happened before? And so I kind of looked into the times Oktoberfest has been canceled before, and it's actually been quite a bit. And so I wrote a thread about it. Yeah. So spoiler alert, this was not the first time Oktoberfest has been canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it's not been even close. Not even close. Been canceled over 20 times. Tell us a little bit about some of the interesting things you discovered, you know, noticing that, hey, this wasn't the first time Oktoberfest was canceled. 
Yeah. So uh, I'll just say first off, like I'm not the first person to think of this. Like I didn't discover, you know, Oktoberfest history of cancellation. I just kind of looked at it for funsies. So Oktoberfest has been canceled, like Mike said, about 20 times, maybe 21 times. We can we can talk about why that's uncertain. And then on top of that, there's been a few years with, you know, kind of like the little asterisk um, because Oktoberfest was technically run, but it wasn't quite Oktoberfest or it was, you know, tweaked somehow, things like that. Um, in addition to those 20 and the under the, the common denominators for for why Oktoberfest might have been canceled usually comes down to disease like COVID, but there's you know been diseases before or war, you know, that pesky war. And then once or twice it was it was about money, you know, because, yeah, war, disease and money. Isn't that what always ruins? the Yeah. Party? <laughs> so um, do you want me to, to talk about. Yeah, out of, or? out of those, yeah, out of those individuals, what what strike you as some of the most interesting, or some of the reasons for cancellation that you know even true beer nerds might not know about? Well, uh, I think what was really interesting about all the most of the, the war reasons. Now, you know, I'll, I'll say right now, World War One and World War Two made the fest get canceled. That that's several years apiece. But I, with setting those aside, those events aside, uh, I thought it was very interesting. Um, in the ways that war kind of interacted with Oktoberfest uh, throughout the 19th century, because uh, a lot of it had to do with kind of the same, kind of two sides of the same coin when it came to like the pageantry and kind of the, the royal grandeur that came with starting Oktoberfest in the first place. So, you know, what I, everyone who's looked into it at all has heard the story, you know, Oktoberfest started with the marriage uh, between Prince Ludwig, who later became King Ludwig I of Bavaria, and Princess Theresa von Sachsen-Hildberghausen. Hopefully my German pronunciation isn't so terrible. And so, you know, just think of that as it's a, it's a way to kind of show off the royalty, right? It's, it's, it's a marriage celebration, but it's also a way to, you know, display social status and to, to demonstrate standing, all that kind of stuff. And the times that war canceled Oktoberfest kind of revolved around that same pursuit of royal clout and, and of respects and social climbing and things like that. Uh, so I won't do every single individual time, but, you know, Oktoberfest was canceled pretty quickly after it started because Bavaria, the, the king of Bavaria, Maximilian, who was Ludwig's father, was kind of social climbing as he had been for years using kind of the Napoleonic wars to, to jump between allies and, you know, to play off Napoleon, to, to build clout and to build standing for his little kingdom of Bavaria, which kind of stood sandwiched between, you know, Prussia and, and Austria and France and all these big powers uh, that could really kind of jostle the you know Bavaria around if they wanted to at the time. And, you know, later on, uh, the fest gets canceled twice in kind of the mid-century, in 1866 and in 1870. And both of those are because of war and because Bavaria is trying to, like, navigate this, this interesting new system of nationalism where Prussia and Austria are, are trying to, you know, throw in elbows at each other to determine who's going to be, like, the, the center of Germanness, you know, in Europe. And, uh, you know, spoiler, Prussia ends up winning. But, you know, Bavaria gets caught in the middle of all that, and they kind of switch sides depending on who they think is going to win the war and best look out for them. And they, they end up on Prussia's side right at the right time for Germany to unify in 1871, right after the fest got canceled because they were fighting a war over it. And then Bavaria gets, gets uh, merged into this new nation of Germany and, you know, becomes what it is today. Uh, so I, I think all those are kind of really interesting because, you know, the fest often kind of gives way to... Bavaria's pursuit of greatness, right? And the, the same pursuit of greatness is, you know, part and parcel to what caused the, the fest to be established in the first place. 
So speaking of a pursuit of greatness, have you ever heard of a March Madness bracketed style Oktoberfest tasting or would only a truly mad king, a crazy person conduct such a massive, massive tasting with Oktoberfests and Merzen and Pale Fest beer and dark lager? Have you ever heard of such a thing? I don't know. That sounds something like an idiot would do. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but I feel I feel like a little birdie might have told me you conducted such a tasting last year. Is that true? Uh, I I did. That was how I coped with uh, Oktoberfest being canceled and COVID, and you know my totally not important in the grand scheme, but still sad. You know, lost vacation plans. So yeah, um, basically I. I went around to, you know, the the Total Wines or, you know, big, you know, liquor retail stores. I, I went to a bunch of individual breweries and I picked up a six pack of literally every single Oktoberfest I could get my hands on, uh, which in the Pacific Northwest is um, a little less in number than, than you might get in some other parts of the country, but it's still plenty. I think I wound up with about 29 individual varieties, you know, and about six, six a piece. And yeah, I, I organized them into a March Madness bracket. I gave them all code names, you know, German names like like Franz and Gunther and Helga and things like that. And and uh, I made my wife a secret keeper who, of the code. So I didn't know the identity of any of these beers as I and I pitted them off against each other two by two uh, until I had one left. And I, you know, I don't remember how exactly every single one went, but I remember um, two really interesting things. The first actually three really interesting things. The first being that my favorite to win got knocked out in the very first round. That was Eyinger's Fest beer. Uh, that, that one I thought would go far, but it got knocked out. Uh, I was also really surprised by how good Shiner's Oktoberfest was. Um, you think of Shiner's, you know, more of a, a premium beer, something a little bit cheaper than like your, you know, your run-of-the-mill craft beer, things like that. But you know, it held its own. It was very good. I enjoyed it. And then the eventual winner was uh, Weinstefaner. Uh, so between Eyinger and Weinstefaner, uh, you know, two not technically official fest beers, if you go by, you know, the, the official rules of Munich and who is considered, you know, an in-brewer and an out-brewer. But the Weinstefaner uh, beat out Spaten for the title, and it was a real close race, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, at the very end, I, I, <laughs> I ended up having leftovers of all these different Oktoberfest beers until, like, late December. So... <laughs> That's why I didn't do it again this year. That was that was a lot. So really, you were the real winner, uh, having Oktoberfest beers closer to Christmas time than uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I raised didn't some run out. That's for sure. You raised some really interesting points, um, which is that uh, on face value, you know, you might have been expecting a beer like Eyinger, Eyinger's Märzen Oktoberfest to be, um, you know a top seed finishing the top five, top 10 or the top five. Yeah. Um, and that, that, yeah. And that got knocked out earlier than you had considered. Um, side note, one really interesting thing about um, that beer, at least according to uh, the importer and the rep here in, in DC that, that serves uh, the DC area. He said that, that that beer is actually brewed in March for the, you know, July, August, September bottling and release whenever it is. Uh, that it comes online. And and I know a lot of people were really kind of shocked by that because there is, you know, there's a ton of 
uh, myth making and beer history. And a lot of people say, oh, well, Oktoberfest, you know, Merton is never really brewed in March. But it seems that um, that in Eying at the Eyinger Brewery, it, it really is uh, back on track. The interesting thing about doing these tastings completely blind is that a beer like Shiner's Oktoberfest, a beer which you might suspect uh, to be knocked out early on, can go much deeper in the bracket than you thought, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty remarkable. That's what happened. Uh, I don't that, remember that, exactly which round it made it to, but it did really well. And it was one of those, like, you know, some contests, you know, if they're two good contestants and you just got to eliminate one because you have to. And I think it was one of those where, like, it wasn't that I stopped liking the beer. It was that, you know, one just edged out by that little sliver more. And, you know, it was a a very respectful exit, you know, gave it a bow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it was a Weinstefan's uh, Oktoberfest beer that ultimately won the, the grand championship. Yeah, it did. It, it beat out Spaten, which made it to the final round. Yeah. And those beers can be pretty different. Um, you know, um, it's interesting that uh, Spaten is, you know, part of the Anheuser-Busch InBev empire. Uh, Weinstefan is not. Um, but, out of the final two, it was uh, two, 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 two German beers, two Bavarian beers, two imports to the U.S. Yeah, I was surprised by that, too. I want to say, if memory serves, uh, a Washington brewery, uh, Silver City, made it to like the final four, oh, wow. I think, and, and finally got taken out. Um, so, you know, definite respect to that. Yeah. And you are coming to us live from Washington, not D.C., but Washington State. Yeah, Washington State. Oh, I, I forgot my audience for a second. Yes, I, I live on the other side of the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Brian, this has been a wonderful interview. Tell the listeners um, and readers where they can find some of your work um, if they hadn't had the chance to listen to any of your podcasts or read any of your, your beer history pieces. Great. Uh, yeah, so I am on Twitter. That's where I'm most active with the handle at brood underscore culture. I also have a website, uh, which is broodculture.org, where I basically just, you know, it's a place where I compile all the work that I've done. So, you know, there's a single page where you can find links to everything I've done. Uh, generally speaking, I do write and work the most for Good Beer Hunting. Uh, it's a wonderful team. It's a wonderful place to, to let projects come to life. And so I enjoy doing that. And then I do, you know, odds and ends with other groups like like I've done with with Mike in the past. Uh, and I guess the best way to follow that is just to, to follow me on Twitter because that's where all that stuff gets posted. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining the DC Beer Show tonight. And we look forward to hearing from you again. Absolutely. Anytime. Mike is crushing the interviews because we have not one but a two Mike interviews. <laughs> He's the hostess with the mostest. I thought I was. Uh, but Mike... Mike's second interview is with Teresa McCullough, who is a curator of brewing history, which is the coolest thing ever, <laughs> at the Smithsonian's American History Museum. So check out this interview. Take it away. Hello, and welcome to the DC Beer Podcast. I am recording with Teresa McCullough, who is curator at the American Brewing History Initiative in the Division of Work and Industry at the National Museum of American History, a wonderful Smithsonian institution. Thank you for joining us today, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, so we're talking a little bit today about the upcoming Beer Histories Now uh, in collaboration with the National Museum of American History. And I believe this is the fifth time you've put together an event, a beer event, a beer history, beer culture event. Tell us a little bit about this event. 
Yes, that's right. It's the fifth time since I've been at the museum. The second year that we'll be gathering virtually. Um, you know, at this time last year, I hope that perhaps we might be able to to be in person, but um, but so it goes. So, and I, I have found that there have been particular advantages of uh, of meeting in the virtual format, and that is that so many more of us can gather even if we can't necessarily see each other. So um, this year, the the title of the event is Beer Histories Now. And the intent is to think about different platforms, different forums that um, people might use to work with beer or think about beer, communicate with others about beer. And you've got quite the panel lined up. Um, I want to talk about the beer because, uh, as our editor Jacob Berg pointed out on the website, these are beers available to participants from out of market. Um, but before we get into the out-of-market beers, tell me a little bit. You, you say you have you know, panelists from filmmaking, historical researchers, uh, journalism in the brewing fields. Who are these filmmakers, journalists, historians, and people in the brewing field? So we have four wonderful panelists. I'm so excited for them to, to speak with us and to talk to each other. Um, I'll go through them in turn. The first uh, is Tinu Diver. And she is a lawyer in training, but a filmmaker now. And she's going to speak about her documentary film in progress, which is called This Belongs to Us. And the film explores the evolution of beer from an art form and a craft that originated with women in um, various African societies and the East to a beverage that has, um, because of historical forces, come to be uh, produced and consumed largely by white men in the modern U.S. And so she's going to talk about that evolution. Interestingly, her grandmother brewed beer in Nigeria. Her family um, came from Nigeria originally, and so she's, she has a, a really interesting and wonderful perspective on beer's past and beer's present. So her film explores the historical origins of beer, but also follows the experiences and challenges of uh, Brianna Brake at Spaceway Brewing Company in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, among others. So Brianna is one of our other panelists. Um, so we're going to have the director being able to speak with one of the subjects of her film. So Brianna Brake is a brewmaster and owner of Spaceway Brewing Company in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And she's going to talk about how um, she uses ingredients and brewing techniques and uh, beer and, the, and brewery design to serve as a means of communication between the brewer and the beer lover. And um, she has a, a special interest and focus on Afrofuturism in her label design and in her um, the, the beers that she creates, how she names them. And um, she explains that as a, the, a way of imagining a future in which um, individuals who she sees as, as scarcely represented in pop culture, so um, minority figures are instead depicted as, as leading actors, as the heroes of the future. And so she has fabulous designs on, on her beers, um, and she will be sharing one of those beers with us, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, but then the two final panelists, um, Allison Brantley is an assistant professor of history at the University of Laverne in California, and she's author of a newly published book called Brewing a Boycott, How a Grassroots Coalition Fought Coors and Remade American Consumer Activism. And so she is going to talk about using beer as a lens for historical research and teaching. She thinks about themes like um, consumer society and politics and labor history. And she's written this wonderful um, investigation of how a really diverse coalition of groups and individuals united to um, protest uh, discriminatory policies at, at Coors Brewing Company. 
And then the fourth panelist, um, which uh, many of your listeners might be familiar with, is uh, Ruveni De Silva. She's a writer and reviewer living in Austin, Texas, founder of the South Asian Beer Club. She's going to talk about her experiences as a writer uh, in, in beer and travel journalism, and specifically, um, she's written really wonderful and thought-provoking pieces about identity and um, who are the tastemakers in beer today. And so uh, the four of these people together, you know, I think I'm going to ask them to really talk about the how of research and storytelling, the mediums that they all work in, um, in addition to the what, the story being told. I'm very eager to hear some of the stories um, that we've not yet heard. Um, and specifically, I'm, I'm very eager. I know we're going to hear um, Brianna, the brewmaster and owner of Spaceway, uh, discuss the beer that she brewed from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. So Spaceway Brewing Company, typically unavailable in Washington, D.C., in Virginia or Maryland. Um, we're also going to if you order the box from Halftime Beverage, you can check out other Desi Beer Company, Island to Island Brewery, Lady Justice Brewing, Bow and Arrow, and Eagle Rock Brewery. How did you decide on these six different breweries that are all, you know, of interest to those of us who want to try new beers from different places with stories we haven't heard before? Yes. I'm so excited about all these breweries. They all have awesome stories. And I'm also very proud and happy to say that I did not pick them. I asked the panelists, I said, if you could fill uh, a box with your ideal breweries, your beers, what would they be? And they sent me a ranked list of breweries. And so this is a, this is a curated box, not curated by me. It's curated <laughs> by the speakers and um, halftime beverage company in New York. They did an awesome job. They took this list and they, they worked down it and they secured these six breweries. And as kind of an aside, um, I'll point out, I, I, I tweeted about this a couple weeks ago, but um, as part of when Hurricane Ida moved up the East Coast, um, Halftime Beverage's primary facility on Long Island was completely flooded and all their inventory was destroyed and they have just terrible photos online of the damage they sustained, but they just, they, they pulled it together really quickly. They shifted all their operations for, um, they handle multiple virtual events and um, they shifted all those operations to their other location in Poughkeepsie. And so, you know, really within a few days, they said, don't worry, we can still handle your event. You know, we're, we're going to do it. So this is yet another reason why I think it'd be awesome to, to show them some love and to, to buy a box. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing that they were able to pivot so quickly from being just completely inundated by, um, by the hurricane, by the storm, yes. um, and, and, and able to help us out. So these breweries were actually chosen by the four panelists you just mentioned. Right. Uh, cur curated not by a curator, not by the, <laughs> the Brewing History Initiative, but by your four panelists. That's right, yes. And um, another kind of element of, um, <laughs> of, of surprise or, or you know, a suspense, I guess I'll call it, is that we know three of the beers that are going to be in the box, three of the particular beers. We, we don't yet know the other three beers. We know the breweries, and, and this is because um, all of these breweries are actually canning fresh batches for us. And so Halftime has said that these, um, these other three, they're still confirming exactly which beers they'll be. But can I share the three that we know? Please. Great. Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, Spaceway Brewing, uh, Brianna's brewery in Rocky Mount, she's going to be sending her Pirate Jenny Imperial IPA, which is a, a double IPA, 8.3% ABV and 85 IBUs. And she describes it as a strong and bitter double IPA with four hop varieties. Um, this is uh, one of their flagship beers, and so it's 
it's going to be great to, to hear from the brewer, to, again, to hear from the filmmaker, and then to be able to drink one of Brianna's beers while we're listening to her. I'm looking forward to that. And then the second brewery, Lady Justice Brewing Company in Aurora, Colorado, they have just an awesome business model, um, founded and owned by three women. It's queer-owned, it's lawyer-owned. <laughs> We've got uh, multiple lawyers involved in the um, event this year, not necessarily in the capacity of practicing law, but in uh, brewing or thinking about beer. Um, but Lady Justice in Aurora, they they founded their brewery and they were thinking about the um, the, the, the CSA model, community-supported agriculture, that many farmers rely on. And so um, they are a community-supported brewery, a, a CSB. And so they invite subscribers to pay an annual fee of just $100. They only have 150 um, slots available, so they're completely sold out. But then every other month, a subscriber gets two 32-ounce growlers of a particular beer that they have brewed. So it's an awesome way to kind of support the brewery up front and then 100% of the proceeds from this brewery are donated to support um, local organizations that, um, that support women and girls in the, um, the Colorado area. So they are going to be sending a fresh batch of their Sandra Day IPA, uh, which they <laughs> describe as a classic and straightforward with Centennial, Citra, and Warrior hops, 7.7%. And of course, it's named in honor of the first woman Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Um, so that's the second beer we know. And then the third uh, from Bow and Arrow Brewing Company in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Any of your listeners attended um, Last Call several years ago. You'll remember Shyla Shepard was one of our brewers who spoke on the, the panel. They are going to be sending their Denim Tux Blue Corn Lager, which is a delicious beer. It's an American Pilsner uh, made with premium New Mexican blue corn. They describe it as refreshing, crisp, and classic, 4.9%. This brewery, again, is uh, indigenous-owned, women-owned, LGBTQ-owned, and they brew a variety of beers with an emphasis on wild, sour, and barrel-aged beers. And uh, if anybody ever has the chance to pass through Albuquerque, it's one of the most beautiful tap rooms I've ever been able to spend time in. Um, so uh, awesome brewery to support great beer. So those are the three we know. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. You know, I have very fond memories of trying that beer um, at the National Museum of American History, uh, seeing Shyla speak there on that night, what a what a pleasure that was. I have never been to Albuquerque. I would love to go someday, but it was wonderful to see her at your museum on stage with you being interviewed and then try their wonderful beer. So we're incredibly excited. I, I would say that, that that beer alone makes the box worth shipping. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting to have different figures from so many walks of life, you know, from Tino's biography, she has this wonderful description um, that in the spirit of Charles Hamilton Houston's adage, a lawyer is either a social engineer or a social parasite. And she uses her creative legal and community practices in ways that seek to build and regenerate. So it really seems that this panel is about building and you're building on these stories that are out there, but not widely told. What stories are you most eager or most excited to hear about from, from who? I wanted to think this year about the way they work about method and, you know, each of these people, they, they work in innovative and different kinds of formats, whether it's, you know, making a film or teaching in the classroom, but using beer as a lens or brewing or writing, but, but writing with an eye to inclusion and diversity and equity. And so, um, you know, it might, it might sound corny, but I kind of in a way imagined this as, you know, uh, a lawyer and a filmmaker and a professor walk into a bar and, you know, dot, dot, dot. And, you know, I, I am looking forward to them talking to each other as well as 
you know, me prompting conversation and, and asking questions to them. So I've, I'm inviting them really to think, you know, you, Professor Brantley, if you could ask a question of a brewer who is brewing on the opposite and, you know, opposite coast of the country from you in a very, you know, different kind of context, what, what are you curious to know about her work? Or Ruvani, the, the writer, you know, what might you want to ask a filmmaker about how she works that might be similar or different from how you work as a journalist? The intent is really to kind of have a kind of cross-conversation among the group, uh, you know, as well as between, uh, pe- be- between the audience as well. You know, we're going to have a, a Q&A after the conversation. Teresa, I have to ask you, is there anything you would like to tell our audience before we wrap up here, either about the event, about the beers, or about the talent that will be presented? Real fast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you like two lines about the three other breweries that are coming in the box because they're Wonderful. also awesome, even though we don't know yeah. the particular beers. Um, other Desi Beer Company from Branford, Connecticut. Um, this, the owner and brewer, Ravi Patel, he founded the brewery in part because he said he did not see much representation of South Asian Americans in brewing. And so he wanted to create beers with, you know, sweet flavors that he remembered from his childhood. And so he brews things like a high chai specialty stout with tea cookies. There's a, a beer he makes called Deshoom IPA. The name comes from the old Bollywood punch sound from Bollywood movies, uh, which is described as packing a punch of tropical fruit notes. So he's going to send something cool. And then the other two breweries, Island to Island Brewery um, in Brooklyn, New York, the brewer, Danny Oliver, she uh, was raised on the islands of Trinidad and St. Martin. She has indigenous roots. And so she brews uh, just an awesome variety of not just craft beers, but ciders and kombuchas as well. And she creates beers, including Black Cake Porter, Rose West Indian IPA, Calypso Rye Beer, and also creates things like smoothies and tonics and probiotic sodas. So she has a really cool approach to brewing that you know, she kind of thinks about the evolution of the, the microorganisms within the beer or whatever, uh, you know, other beverages she might make too. And then lastly, lastly, we have a kind of older generation of, of craft beer, and that's um, Eagle Rock Brewery from Los Angeles, California, which was founded in 2009 by um, Ting Su and her husband. And uh, they were the, the first, one of the first or the first microbrewery to open in the city of LA. And they have just a, an awesome classic variety uh, of beers. And so they're going to put something good in in the box too. That's wonderful. Teresa McCullough, you are the curator of the American Brewing History Initiative, but you're also America's beer historian. And if you've been following uh, those who know your track record, know these events have been wonderful. Uh, Last year's was was certainly no exception. And we hope this year um, we'll have an even broader response, more people buying beer, more people tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing this with the DC Beer Pod. Thank you. And I w- can I tell people how to buy real quick? Please. How okay. do we get tickets? Okay. Yes. Before tickets? I say bye-bye, I'll send you the important details. So um, the tickets to attend this streaming event, they're just $15. We're working with Smithsonian Associates this year, which is a you know, wonderful, big platform, big, bigger stage than last year. So $15 virtual tickets. If you go to smithsonianassociates.org and search for beer histories, you'll find a link to buy the tickets. Uh, Registration closes, I think, a couple hours before the event, um, which uh, this is going to be Friday, October 22nd, 7 to 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time. And then for the beer box, um, if you go to halftimebeverage.com, you have to search in the search box for Smithsonian right now because we we wanted to keep the link um, 
somewhat semi-private or, you know, for, mm-hmm. for people who are, sure. uh, you know, attending to buy tickets too. So halftimebeverage.com, search for Smithsonian, and you'll see a box that is um, $34.99, free shipping. None of these beers are available in this area. And um, if you want to have guaranteed on-time delivery of the box by the 22nd, you need to order by noon Eastern time uh, on Sunday, October 10th, this upcoming Sunday. So there's a few days left. We also are probably going to have to cut off sales at some point because uh, just to keep the budget in check, one of the upsides of this time, you know, not having to uh, dedicate part of my budget to, to some of the costs of holding the event in the museum is that I can subsidize the cost of the box. And so it's a, it's a really good deal. It's, a, you know, these six beers coming from all over the country for, uh, for $34.99 that you can enjoy at home. Teresa, if we didn't buy our tickets to get these six wonderful beers, can we still buy a ticket to the event to see your four panelists? Absolutely. And uh, actually for halftime ships to most, but not all states. And so for attendees who might be elsewhere in the country and not able to purchase the box, uh, very soon on the event page, we are going to post a suggested list of beer styles. So if someone wants to, you know, assemble a kind of tasting at home, we're going to tell everybody what will be in the box. So if they want to follow along, they could make their own selections. Oh, that's wonderful. So you can kind of piece together based on your recommendations, the panelists' recommendations? Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I'll also say halftime, usually even after an event does a good job of what they have on hand. So search out the participating breweries on their website. For sure, yes. And even even if you order a box after the 10th, sales will continue and halftime their shipping to the East Coast is quite quick. So they are pretty confident that you would still get it by the 22nd, but just um, October 10th is the kind of cutoff for guaranteed delivery. Wonderful. So if you missed the cutoff, no biggie. Go see the event and check the halftime website for these wonderful breweries uh, after. Teresa, we are so grateful. Thank you for all you do for the D.C. beer scene and then the beer scene nationally writ large. Well, thank you. Same to you, Mike. And uh, thanks to D.C. Beer for, for being such a great supporter. Absolutely. Thanks again, Teresa. And we're back. All right. Uh, Brandy, parting shots until two weeks from now when we record again. Yeah. So this coming weekend is the D.C. Beer Brewers Jam. Uh, It's when we're trying to just get some local brewery staff, brewery owners, brewers um, to come together at Hellbender on Sunday and play play music or just hang out and support each other. And um, I think that's going to be great. And then a couple of weeks from now, uh, it'll be the beer share for October. And I love October. So if you guys have any awesome Halloween, beer Halloween events that you want to promote or to let me know about so I can dress up, <laughs> let us know at DC Beer. Excellent. Also, um, shout out to Astrolab and Atlas, both celebrating anniversaries this year. Astrolab number three, Atlas number eight, I believe. Oh, yeah. Keep oh, on, on Saturday. On. Yeah. yeah. Good times. I'll be there. Probably at both of them. I was at I was at Other Half on Sunday and for the, um, the Oyster Wars. It was slammed. It was so busy. I stood in a longer line at other half on Sunday than I did in the entirety of Snally on Saturday. Um, But my highlighted beer, my favorite beer that day was from Perennial and it was called Prism. And oh my God, it was this Saison with 
Hallertau Blanc and Centennial Hops. Oh my god, it was so good. I just out of all they were all good, but like it was really, really, really good. C- clean, crisp. Oh, so good. Anyway, so uh, we'll I'll see you around on Saturday. I'm assuming. Are you gonna go to the anniversary party, Jake? Jokes on you all. I'm actually MIA this weekend. I'm gonna go oh. camping in, in Southern Maryland. Sweet. All right. Well, yeah. enjoy some beer and camping. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. Um, but anyway, we're at TC Beer across social media. At us, tell us about events, especially the Halloween ones. We're looking at you, Public Option. You're good, but hey, Hellbender, Silver Branch, um, Three Stars, you do doing events, costumes, with a contest that involves a reward of beer, or like, you know, taking 50 bucks off your, uh, off your bill. We want to hear about that too. All right, be excellent to each other, and we'll see you in two weeks. Cheers.